Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. My two. Now it's time for me to qualify, so I will open up my camera so I can see you good people's faces, Um, and I don't feel quite so on stage when I can do that. Once again, my name is Tony, and I am a recovering compulsive overeater. Hey, everybody, just to qualify a little bit, um, I originally came into... um, this program in November of 93 after coming through treatment. I came into this program and the sister program AA at the same time, so I do identify as cross-addicted. My background with my eating behavior um, has been um, laxative bulimia, exercise bulimia, compulsive overeating. I identify as not only a compulsive overeater, but as a food addict in general. And I I started making that distinction in 2018, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, When I came in in 93, um, I immediately put the food down. I was, what I found was what we used to call the last house on the block. You know, I got here and I was so sick of yo-yoing. And for a long time, before I did the last diet, I didn't think that I could lose weight. I had gotten into that headspace where it's like, okay, where I lied to myself so many times, you know, oh, the, oh, I must have a glandular problem. Oh, this must be it. Oh, that must be it. And the last diet that I did before I came in was a fast. Um, and if that diet did nothing else, it taught me that, yeah, there was no physiological reason why I could not release weight. Um and that was an important thing for me to see. Uh, just to go back a little bit, I think I only got about 20 minutes, so I'm going to try to run through this very fast because I don't want to get stuck in what it was like. I think most of us are in here because we know what it was like. You know, I, as long as I can remember, I was, I, my relationship with food was broken. I can remember being a small child and getting up on the weekends before everybody else and going into the kitchen and eating large quantities of cereal and then going back to bed. The weekend was the only time that we ate together as a family and then going back to bed and getting up and having breakfast with everybody else. That was, that was like preschool. Um, then when I started school, um, the emotional eating started. I did not adjust well in, in school. And my father would come and pick me up from school every day. And I would, and it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine about this the other day. I would get in the car and I would start begging to stop at convenience stores so I could get junk food. And I would do that. And my father was a very blunt and very outspoken man. And after about two or three days of that or two, two or three times of that, he looked at me and he said, I don't understand why you can't make it to dinner. You act like if you don't get this food, it's going to kill you. And it actually felt like it would. That was the only thing when I, when I, when I left school and school was such an emotional 
havoc for me. It felt like the only thing that would calm me down was to get my get my drug of choice, those things that made that gave me comfort. Um, so I started binging very early. Um, by the time I got to high school, I had a lot of body image issues. And until I started coming to this program and listening to other people share, I thought I was the only person who probably had failed gym because I refused to dress up. <laughs> so I got asked at gym because I would not. There was no way I was going to put on shorts and a T-shirt and go out in front of people. Um, so I'm going to uh, fast forward here. The first diet that I ever did was I was about 16 years old, and it was a drugstore diet. Um, and I started to use the pills, and I did not, of course, I did not read the package. I was 16 years old. I, I had my first crush, and I wanted to look good. So I started taking those pills. And um, I did not use water as I was supposed to with them, and I became vastly dehydrated, ended up affecting my kidneys, and had some major problems with that. Um, and in some ways, that was a real blessing, because at that point, it scared me bad enough that I did start to read packages and whatever, and I thought, oh, okay, so the, the packages tell me right away I shouldn't do this. Because it can harm me. So at that time, a friend of mine told me, you know, you can lose all the weight that you want to lose. All you need to do is eat whatever you want to eat and then take laxatives. So I started doing that. But, you know, once again, I was a smart kid. So it's like, okay, the laxatives, the laxatives say I may become laxative dependent. So what I'll do is I'll use foods, food substances that I know give me a laxative effect, which was just as dangerous. I had no, you know, I had no understanding at that time of the fallout on my body. And um, as a result of that, in the late 90s, I ended up having um, intestinal surgery, which I am sure had a lot to do with my laxative abuse. Um, I started in 87 working for the federal government there in the States. I'm in Montreal now, uh, but I, my, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I started working for the Postal Service there, and I had to, I was required to do a physical to get my job, and at that time, I had no idea how much I weighed. I stopped getting on scales when the home scale would no longer register what it was, so I knew that I was over 325 pounds, but I had no idea how much it was. Well, later on, I got a chance to take a peek at my personnel folder, and that's when I found out that the recommendation that the doctor had given to my employer was that I was grossly obese, um, and that it could be, that it could be mortally dangerous for me. Um, I know I was over 325 pounds. I didn't even want to look at the number. So to my knowledge, I know I was over 325 pounds, but that's the last reported weight that I knew that I had. Um, but I was always a very practical thinker, and I knew I was way over 300 pounds, uh, smoking two and three packs of cigarettes a day. And at that time, you could smoke in government buildings. I remember I went to work, and I was smoking like a chimney, and I would just start coughing. I would start coughing and finally hacked up uh, some blood, and that was enough to scare me into stopping smoking. Now, when I say I was a practical thinker at that time, that was in 88, I quit smoking 
And I said, okay, you know you're going to gain at least 20, 25 pounds after you put the cigarettes down. So do that and then start start to look at the weight. Um, and once I did that, after about two years, that's when I did the that that fast. And over, I think when I first started that fast, I looked at what I was weighing then, and I was like 298. And over a two-year period of basically starving myself, I went from 298 pounds down to like 232 pounds, I think it was. And I can remember I had used this stuff. It was this, 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 it was the Dick Gregory Bohemian diet. I don't mean to, I'm sorry. I'm, I know I'm breaking a tradition by doing that. Um, and I don't want to do that. Uh, but anyway, um, it was two drinks and a meal. Um, so basically I was starving myself for two years and I got to a point where I was having abdominal cramps that were so bad until I could not deny why I was having it. I knew why I was having it. So I said, okay, I've got to stop doing this. I need to, my body is crying out, you know, for me to, to nourish it. And I'll never forget. I came home from work that night and I set up a camera and took some pictures because it was like, take a picture. Once you do this, once you get off of this, you're never going to see this size again. And pretty much that's what what happened. I got off of that diet, and I probably gained back about, I'd say probably about 30 or 40 pounds very quickly. Um, during that diet period, I was doing that, that one drink, and everything else was skinned, this, boiled, that, you know, as, as few calories in it as I could have. Uh, what I did not understand yet at that time was that um it's like that old joke that they used to have on the TV commercial. It's not about what you're eating. It's what's eating you. Um So I thought that, well, if I can strip out, you know, everything that's, that's calorically dangerous for me or whatever or however you put it, then I'll be just fine. I was still doing mechanics. I was still doing diets. Uh, but, of course, because of my obsession and compulsion with food, um, before long, I was eating the skin, this and boil that, and then eating desserts and everything on top of it. So I was eating the diet food and the, you know, and the other stuff and couldn't control it. Um, and before long, I noticed myself going back up. Okay. I'm, um, by this time, I realized that yes, I could physically lose weight. Um, uh, but my problem had something to do with something else. I had enough to know. I had enough, you know, forethought to know that. So I checked myself into treatment in 93 um, and went into a treatment program, outpatient, and started that program. Now, at that time, like I say, I was able to release a lot of the foods that I was eating. For a long time, I called that abstinence. I stayed um dessert and sugar restricted and portion restricted for the next eight years. Got to the smallest weight that I had ever gotten to in my life. And the reason I say at that time I call that abstinence because I was still thinking in terms of the food as being my abstinence. Um, what I learned since that time, because after eight years, of course, I was scared enough to follow directions that I heard in the rooms for eight years, I did no step work. I had no sponsor. 
I basically just restricted and white knuckled. Um, so of course I got frustrated. I got tired. I got down to the size that I thought that I wanted to be. Um, and I was like, okay, where's my payoff? You know, I've done this for over six years. You know, by now I should have a good job. I should have the relationship that I want. I should have everything that I want in my life. So I constructively started looking for a partner. And that was a train wreck. And during that period, you know, went out on a weekend with somebody. And it was a, the date was a mistake. It never should have happened. Um, but while I was with him, we, he took me to, uh, brunch. And I went to brunch on a riverboat. We were in, in Louisiana. And I decided, okay, you know what? I'm not finding the partner that I want. I'm not finding the life that I want. So damn it, I'm going to have a dessert. That was February of 2000. I picked up, uh, Fudge Brownie and <laughs> it was like Katie by the door. I let that sugar back in and I'm here to tell you where people tell you that you go back and you start right where you were. That's a lie. <laughs> okay. I passed where I was, gained back all the weight that I had, and even more, and was completely crazy. Because at that time, I had been in the rooms for, you know, almost a decade. And I was like, what happened? I thought this was over. I thought this was was healed. Um, Went back to work and could not, I was right back where I had been before I started. I couldn't go an hour and a half, two hours without something sweet in my mouth. Um, it was so bad that I had a partner at work that we worked in teams and he had no, you know, no issues with food or anything like that. But I was binging on the sugar so much and robbing the, the vending machine so much until he looked at me and he was like, Jesus, you are eating a lot of this stuff. And it was crazy. I mean, it was completely nuts. Well, it took me until November of that year to even think about putting down um, the sugar and I still wasn't able to stop. And by the grace of God, I never stopped going to meetings. I bitched in them. I complained in them, but I never stopped going. And I had a friend. We used to go every year to get our Christmas trees. I had a, um, a pickup truck. So we would make a day of it and we'd get together and go out and pick up our live Christmas trees. And then we'd have lunch and what have you. And she was the person who, who brought me back to, to earth. Because I was in the truck with her, and we had gotten our trees, and we stopped to get lunch, and I started telling her about all the reasons why now I could eat whatever I wanted to eat and all of that, and I will forever be grateful to her because she looked at me and she said, tell me, I don't mean no harm, but I need to tell you, that's pure bullshit. <laughs> you know? And it, it hurt me. It pissed me off. Um, I went off on her, took her back to her house, but this is the beauty behind this program. You know, there's no saying the worst place in the world is to have a head full of program and a belly full of food. And by that night, I had to call her and apologize to her because I knew she was Five right. minutes left, Tony. Thank you. I knew she was right. Um, and she helped me get back on track. And then I started the one, two, three tango. You know, still hadn't done any step work. So I'd get a few days, then I'd slip. I'd get a few days, and then I'd slip. Um, basically... I got a sponsor in these last five minutes. I'm going to talk about what it's like now. The key for me has been honesty. I got a sponsor, somebody, oddly enough, that I had known for years. 
um, and I met her one day, and I told her, um, you know what? I need somebody to sponsor me. And I had had a problem with sponsors because this was my problem. It was not their problem. I had a problem. I had had a problem with sponsors up until that point. Um, and it's funny. When I first came in the program, I used to tell people, I don't do hierarchical relationships. If you want me to do something, then you make a suggestion. But, you know, I've taken care of myself since I was 15 years old. Don't be trying to tell me what to do. And that was my attitude. And what God did for me was he put somebody in my life who I respected enough that if she made a suggestion, I was willing to do it. It had nothing to do with wanting to please her or anything like that. I just admired her program so much. Um, And she was the person who taught me the steps and took me through the steps and helped me to understand what it was. The other thing that I want to stress is that, like I say, I never quit going to meetings. She never chastised me. I came to meetings and binged through the whole meetings. I had um, two sisters who passed away from brain stem strokes, and one of my sisters was laying in the hospital um, very, very ill. And I remember I went to meet with my sis- with my sponsor, and I was one of the caretakers for my sister. And I told her, I'm sitting and watching my sister every day die as a result of abusing food and issues with her eating, and I can't stop eating. I know that that's a factor in what's killing her, and I still can't keep the food out of my mouth. Um, that situations like that, more than anything else, are what taught me that this is a disease and that I wasn't a horrible person. I literally couldn't. Watching her die was not enough proof to make me stop eating. What has been has been embracing my higher power, getting in this room. I got abstinent in 2018, and by the grace of God, have been abstinent since then. What that has been about has been about 10, 11, and 12. Get up, do my prayer and meditation, work with others, pay attention to my higher power, do these steps. And, you know, I used to hear people say this all the time, and I thought it was crazy at the time, and now I understand it. If I live this program and not work this program, then every single day I touch one of those steps or more of those steps, one way or the other, because I'm living the program. I'm not just working the program. So having, you know, having interaction with with others, doing service, praying before I my feet hit the ground, and I'll just leave the, you know, she would hate me for doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, the sponsor that I was talking about, she's passed on. Um, I do a book study every day with uh, what used to be my home group. And in the second edition of the Brown book, there's a study, there's a, a story in there where the person is talking about, and she wrote it in as anonymous, where the person is talking about reaching under the bed to get her shoes and praying every morning. And we were reading this story, and I'm listening to this story, and I go, I know this person. <laughs> and her partner was in the meeting. She since passed, and we talked later on, and she said, yeah, that was her. She wrote that, and she submitted it before she died. She died of a, of a lung condition. But I will forever be grateful for the way that I have been guided in this program and the way my higher power has carried me through. Um I wish I had more time. I don't feel like I've touched on everything that I want to touch on, 
But one of the things that I do before I start doing something like this is, is pray and ask to be, you know, to be used as a vessel. If there's somebody that needs to hear what I need to say, let me say what that person needs to hear, not, you know, not feed my own ego and say whatever. So I hope that there has been something here that has been helpful for somebody if they needed it. And with that, I'm going to stop and I guess go back to the script. So, so I can't. Because I, you know, I was going to turn it over to the leader, and then it dawned on me, I am the leader. So let- Thank you, Frank. Uh, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are his own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions to Tony, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. Um, If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. Tony, do do you want me to call on people or can you see them? Oh, I can see them now. I can call on people if you want. Great. um, The first hand I see is Melissa. Hi, everybody. Melissa from Eater. Tony, thank you so much for your share. It was wonderful. Quick basic question. Can you describe to us what your daily spiritual routine looks like? Thank you. Yes, thanks. I'll be happy to. Um, As I said before, um, before I get out of bed at all, I I do my prayer and my meditation. Um, What that's that's turned into for me is this. It's just that. Um, I, I... suffer from anxiety, early morning anxiety. Um, so I generally, when, when I have that attack, I'll start off with, uh, with a long version of the serenity prayer that we do up here. Um, I do the seventh step prayer. I do the third step prayer. And then I do a prayer that I've written myself that kind of touches on to all of those things, all of those things that I want to say thank you to God for. Um, at the end of the day, I close out doing just what the big book does. I write, I do my 10th and, um, my 10th step and my 11th step writing. I share that with a couple of people in program. We email back and forth. Um, in that I always include a gratitude list of at least three things that I'm grateful for for each and every day. So that's, that's most of it. And of course, checking in with my higher power every day. Okay, the next person I see is Tanya G. Tony, thank you so much for sharing your story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, so why, when you started programming, you didn't do the steps? What were you avoiding? And also, if you could share what your abstinence of food plan is. Okay. Um, <clears throat> okay, first off, when I first started the program, it wasn't so much that I was avoiding it was just that I'm one of those people that I don't like um, homework. And just like when I was in school, I guess I was trying to slide through. You know, I could I would go to meetings. I paid attention to people. Um, I wasn't eating. So I thought, okay, I got this. I really got this. I didn't understand really the importance of doing written step work and learning the, the ins and outs of the steps. I was a slow learner. It took me a minute to understand that the books are literal, you know? I was one of those people that when I first picked up the big book, I hated the big book, and then one day it dawned on me, you know, this is not a novel. This is a text. 
You're supposed to study it. And once I, you know, once I got on board and I got those things, then I started to realize, I guess I had to get in enough pain to do the, 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 the step work. Um, as far as my abstinence, what my abstinence is, is three meals a day with nothing in between. Um, I was, I brought it, I was, when I came into this program, I was taught that there are no good foods and bad foods. Now, what that's meant for me is that I have had to, I, I often say that I have to surrender to the food because the food ain't going nowhere. It's going to be here. So what that means for me is I have to find a way that I can eat that's comfortable and that will, that I know that I can sustain. Now, what that's meant for me is it's meant whole grains. It's meant that I do a lot of cooking. It's meant that I don't eat foods that have, generally, I don't eat foods that don't have nutritional value. But, and this is just for me. I'm not speaking for anybody else. I don't eat um, white flour. I don't eat white sugar. However, I do eat natural sugars, and I do eat whole grains. Um, so that has that has kind of made a difference for me. That way, I give myself a little bit more leeway. Um, I find that also when I eat uh, natural and whole, I don't crave this. I don't have cravings. So I hope that answered the question. And Deb B. Hi, Tony. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, what has program, let me rephrase this. How has your um, personal relationships changed as you've worked the program? Thanks. That's a wonderful question. Um, when I came into, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to answer it bluntly. When I came into the program, I didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust people. I did not have good relationships with people. I was a black and white thinker. And by that, I mean, I either, my friendship, I didn't take, I didn't have friends. I took hostages. You know, I believe that if I was your friend, then that meant that I would open my veins and give you the blood out of them. And I, and of course, I expected you to do the same thing. So either I was all in with you or I hated you. You know, there was no no middle ground. Um, what I've learned since I've been in these rooms is to trust people, to trust this process, and to be a part of. I want to be, you know, I want to be a member of. I don't want to be, there are no big eyes and, and little U's. I don't, I'm not trying to be above anybody. I'm not trying to be below anybody. Um, so I hope that's that answers it. And Joylene. Hi, thank you so, so much for your share. It was beautiful. Um, my question to you is when you slipped or relapsed in the past, what helped you to keep coming back to program? Thank you. Great, great question. Um, as I say, when I, when I slipped, I didn't slip. I would, I fell off the mountain. Okay. I went into relapse and I was in relapse for over 10 years. Um, one of the things that helped, that has helped me over time is, as I say, try, honesty is the cornerstone to this program as far as I'm concerned, and being honest with myself and never lying to myself. Um, during that period, while I was out there in the wilderness for those 10 years, you know, I'd get a little bit of time and then I'd quit. I'd get a little time and quit. What I recognized was that at that time, I was not willing to turn a loose processed sugar. So, and this is what I mean about making making, you know, making peace with the food and changing my relationship with food. Back at that time, what I would do is 
I was like, okay, I'm not willing to stop eating muffins and cinnamon rolls. So for two years, I don't know if you all have it out there, but in, in the vending machines at my job, they had these little packs of peanut butter crackers called Nikos. And so for two years, I told myself, okay, I, if I won't eat the giant muffins and I won't eat cinnamon rolls, but I will allow myself to have one or two packs of those Nikos a day. And I did that for two years. And some people might say that that was crazy, but it was a step down for me, and it got me out of more heavily concentrated sugars um, till I got to a point, in a lot of ways, it was like the way I quit smoking cigarettes. I stepped out on nicotine until I was smoking air. Uh, with this, I did the same thing. I cut out until I could put down. Um, my relationship with food today, like I say, has been three meals a day with nothing in between. And I try not to, I make the choices that are healthy choices for me, uh, but I try not to look at any food as good food or bad food. There are foods out there that I used to binge on that I simply don't want. And that's the grace of God. It's nothing I'm doing. So I don't see any hands, so I don't know what we do. <laughs> oh, there's one, Melissa. Good morning. Um, I'm Melissa, compulsive reader. Thank you so much. I love your share, and I wish you could just keep talking all day. Uh, <laughs> I want to know if your relationship with your higher power has changed, and if so, how? Oh, tremendously, tremendously. When I came into the program, I identified as an agnostic. Um, I was raised in a religious household, but I was raised with a punishing God. Um, and being a gay man, the, the message that I got was God don't even want to talk to you. Um, when, and my first aha moment started in the treatment center because there were situations that happened. I don't think I ever not, I, I ever didn't believe in God, but I was just, I did, I couldn't wrap my mind around the God that I was, that was being thrown at me. Um, but I think that God, knew that I needed help to be coached into this program. So there were things that happened, like when I when I first went into treatment, there were little aha moments that there was absolutely no other explanation for. I remember the first week I was in the treatment center, uh, the nutritionist had given me uh, a food plan to use, and on that food plan at breakfast was cereal. So I could have three starches, so I would just eat a giant bowl of cereal. And by Thursday of that week, I was getting ready to leave and go to, because I was doing outpatient, I was getting ready to leave and go to the hospital, and something said just as clear as a bell, if you don't get honest with these people, you're never going to be able to do this. And the nutritionist at the center was kind of rough, <laughs> but I went in and I sat down and I told her, I said, I can't eat what's on this plan. And she immediately bristled and said, what do you mean you can't eat it? And I told her, I said, cereal was my first binge food. I cannot keep eating this. And she looked at it and she said, you know what? You're right. You can't eat this. And that has little things like that all the way through my, my program has got, has brought me back to a relationship with the higher power, which is not the higher power that I started off with, but it's a, it's the strongest that it's ever been. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, David. Well, hi, Tony. Thanks. Um, I was just curious. You talked about your, I'm new to this too, so I haven't done a lot of research on it, but your abstinence program, just 
uh, it, it just sounds like three meals a day. Did, did you initially have to have a, a diet plan? I know we don't like the word diet, but um, and you talked about a nutritionist. Do you set weight goals or any of that kind of stuff, or 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 do you just go with the three meals to feel comfortable for you? Okay, David, I'm going to try to do this as quickly and as, as simply as I can. As I just, the, the nutritionist that I was just talking about, she gave me a basic breakdown when I was in treatment. And I'll give you an example. My breakfast, uh, she told me three, um, three starches of protein, fruit, and milk. Lunch was, uh, three starches, protein, fruit, vegetable, and milk. I still use that basic breakdown. Though the foods that are in there sometimes are interchangeable. Five minutes left for Q&A. Okay. The foods in there are interchangeable, but but at the end of the day, that's what it looks like. Three meals, I mean, I'm sorry, three pro, three starches, a protein, fruit, and milk for breakfast kind of thing. <clears throat> okay, Nancy. Hi, sweetie. What a wonderful share. Sweetie, would you, I had the honor of being a counselor in those eating disorder units, mostly inpatient, and what a gift you took. Um, I have found over these 45 years that the only reason I've been able to abstain is I got a connection with something other than myself, whether it's the tree that blows in the winds that I look at when I'm scared. So would you talk a little about how you slowed down? Because this is a program of being calm of having yeah, some yeah. peace, but also about having joy. And you haven't talked yet at all about being happy, joyous, and free. Do you swing on the swings at the park or fly a kite or do things you never imagined, you know, right when you should be maybe doing your taxes. So instead, when you get a big deal, what do you do? Do you, I usually go find something to distract me that's fun, and then everything else is easier. So would you talk a little about your connection and fun and all that good stuff? Uh, yes, Nancy, I'll be happy to. Thank you so very much. That's a wonderful question. Uh, as I said before, generally I've been a black and white thinker. I grew up very, very carefully. If I stay in my box, then that means that I don't have to worry about things outside that frighten me. And you won't know that I don't know what I'm doing if I stay within my box. As I said at the beginning, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I woke up on my 59th birthday and said, if I stay here, I'm going to die. I'm tired of this city. All my family is dead. The only thing that's here for me is ghosts. I need to leave. A very dear friend of mine in this program looked at me and told me, Tony, you can't make a mistake. I had always loved Canada. She said, if you go and you don't like it, you can always move back. <laughs> so I packed my car and I, you know, people ask me all the time, how in the world did you end up in Montreal? And the, the short answer is, I don't know. This is where God meant for me to be. Life has been wonderful, and I am in Montreal, and now I'm married. <laughs> you know, it just, since 18, it happened. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the thing. I had to learn how to let go. Uh, trusting God and, and being willing to try things has helped me to find the fun. Um, I'm going to move on. And before I do, I want to say this. Uh, David, I will give you my number, and I will talk more with you about that. I know you said you were new to this program. If you would like, I'll, I'll reach out and give you my number just as soon as we finish the Q&A. Um, Helene. Yes. I'm Helen. 
Overture. I'm from Montreal. Ah! <laughs> and I'm not married. It's not fair. The question, do you experience obsession? If so, what do you do? Helene, you're right. It's not a fair question. <laughs> and yes, I do experience obsession. I don't think that um, I don't think that I'm any different from anybody else. Um, I'm going to tell you what I do too. I love this. This is what I do. In our 12 and 12, I want to say it's page 23. <laughs> this is the answer to your question, Helene. Uh, do we ever achieve, as it's talking about those of us who have been in program for a while, do we ever achieve permanent freedom from food obsession? Yes and no. OA veterans do have this miraculous freedom most days, but occasionally the obsession returns. How do we get through these times without overeating? We don't panic. Instead, we quietly reaffirm our personal guidelines and ask our higher power to help us to continue living within them. Then we turn away from the food, eating, and focus our attention on our OA fellowship and the 12 steps. And I take that literally. That's how I get through the obsession. But, yeah, it does come back. And that's in the old copy. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much, Tony. Mm -hmm. Thank you.